Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the freedom and the opportunity, the privilege and the joy, God, that we have to be able to come into your presence. Lord Jesus, thank you that you opened the way for us when you went to the cross, when you took our sin, you took our penalty, you paid the price for us. So Lord, we thank you for this moment. We pray, Holy Spirit, indeed, that you fill this place, fill our hearts. May our worship be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, praise standard. You can take a seat. Uh, For those of you who um, maybe missed the introduction, thank you for the introduction earlier, by the way. Um, But for those of you who might have missed the introduction, my name is Clem, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to join you for worship today and to be able to share God's Word. And thank you to Pastor August for inviting me. I was supposed to be joined by my wife, um, Justine, but uh, unfortunately she... Woke up this morning with a little bit of a sore throat and uh, under COVID conditions, better idea for her to stay home. So she sends her apologies. Um, My wife and I have three adult children. uh, And this is a picture of my family. Uh, My daughter just graduated from RMIT with honors in professional communication. So she's now a uni grad looking for work. And I have uh, twin sons who are, one is in their final year of Bible college up at Hillsong in Sydney, and the other is here in Melbourne studying his final year of physio at Monash. So uh, again, it it was mentioned earlier, but uh, we actually just finished at Grace Church of Christ after 15 years on staff, where I was the lead pastor for more than 11 years. But now that I'm finished, without that responsibility, I'm actually a lot more free to uh, just uh, worship with other parts of the body of Christ, uh, joining other churches online as well as in person. So it's been a real joy to be with you this morning, and it's been very rich. We are about to gather around the Word of God together. And so as we seek to hear God's voice, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have already acknowledged and honored your presence with our worship as we open up your word this morning, as we seek to hear your heart and your voice to each one of us. Lord, I pray for your spirit to empower your word and to speak to each one of us right where we're at, right where we need to hear from you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I have been following online with you guys as you have been working your way through the Gospel of John. And this morning we come to one of my wife's favorite passages, and it's also actually one of my favorite passages. If you have your Bibles, can I encourage you please to turn with me now to John chapter 4. And uh, we live in an age where almost everyone has a smartphone, so even if you don't have a printed Bible, you can open up your version Bible app, you have your Bibles right there with you all the time. I would always encourage people, and I will encourage you as well, to open up your own scriptures whenever we come to times like this, because when you can see and read God's Word for yourself and you can see in context the surrounding verses, 
the Holy Spirit can show you things, teach you things that you cannot just receive or get from what the preacher says. So I always will encourage you to open up your own Bible. So please turn to John chapter 4. And uh, while you're turning there, while you are looking for John chapter 4 in your own Bibles, I want to tell you about an amazing meal that I had recently. Just a couple few weeks ago, because, you know, we were finishing at Grace Church, and as a farewell to my wife and I, some people took us out for a banquet. And there were so many courses. I think we started out with shark fin soup, and then there was lobster noodle, there were pepper prawns, steak, rice, Chinese barbecue platter, jellyfish, steamed fish, dumplings, dessert. It was seriously sumptuous. It was a a rare food experience. And even though I only had a little bit of everything, by the end of the night, I had eaten easily three meals worth, and I went home carrying a food baby. Now, why am I telling you this? We'll come back to it. We will come back to it. Hopefully you found John chapter 4 now in your Bibles, and we're going to read most of the chapters together. We're going to read John chapter 4, verse 1 to 30. So let me, let me read, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the, water, the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, 
Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I The one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way. Toward him. This might be, for some of you, a, a very familiar passage. But in this passage, we see Jesus patiently bringing along in conversation an outcast woman. He engages her head, her heart, her whole being to find true life and satisfaction. Now, to be fair, at the start of this, she's not looking for it. She doesn't even realize that she needs it, that she needs Jesus the Messiah. She does have an immediate felt need for water. She has a deeper, lingering longing over a period of years, maybe her whole life, for love and acceptance in relationships. But in this pivotal moment, Jesus shows her that her ultimate satisfaction can only be found in God the Father through Jesus Christ. How often, I wonder, are we also like that? Not necessarily looking for Jesus or longing for him or even aware of how much we need him. We go through life, we fill up our appetites to distraction, often repeating the same actions, the same behaviors, even sometimes the same mistakes over and over. And yet, we remain hungry, we remain thirsty, and I dare say this is every single one of us, regardless of whether you are a Christian or not. And even if you are a believer, regardless of how long you've been a follower of Jesus, whether that be a long time or a short time, this is our ultimate need. And this is what Jesus speaks to. He speaks to our deepest longing. He speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he speaks to us today. Through his word, through his spirit. For this woman, here in our passage, so many things are stacked against her. For starters, she is a Samaritan. Look at 
in your Bibles, look at verse 7. She is a Samaritan. That's a race of people. Race should not be an issue, right? But it is. In Jesus' day, in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, Rome at its peak. In that day, Jews and Samaritans were supposedly all subjects of Rome living in Judea. Yet the two people groups despised each other. And this dated back centuries when God's people were self-governing. They were two independently sovereign nations of Israel in the north with Samaria as the capital and Judah in the south, whose capital was Jerusalem. And when Assyria conquered Samaria, and this is in 721 BC, this is 700 years before what we read here, but in 721 BC, when Assyria conquered Samaria, all the notable citizens of Israel were deported. And then uh, what was left was just the dregs of society. And Assyria then settled foreigners in the land who intermarried with the surviving Israelites. So 700 years later, the Samaritans were seen as both racially and religiously corrupted, impure. And they were the dregs to start with. That was what was the the Jewish idea of the day, what they thought of Samaritans. So not only... Is she a Samaritan? But she's also a woman. And in those days, hard to believe, but in those days, women were widely considered lesser than men. Their testimony was not admissible in court. They were often treated as property, little better than slaves. And so she's a Samaritan, she's a woman, and furthermore, she has five failed marriages. And the man she's with now, they're not married. They're living together. So she is shunned. She feels the judgment and scorn, even from her fellow Samaritans and women. And this is evidenced, again, you can see this in in the Bible, in the text, in verses 6 and 7. This is evidenced by the fact that she goes alone to get water at noon. It's the hottest time of day. Most people, and certainly all the women, would have gone together in the morning or in the evening when it's cooler. So this woman, she is an outcast among outcasts. She is despised. She is judged and scorned. She is cut off by choice and also not by choice. And so no wonder she says in verse 9, I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? I wonder for us today, for some of you watching online, what are the things that we label ourselves today? I'm a man, I'm a woman. I'm bi, I'm trans, I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim, I'm an atheist, I'm a scientist. I'm married, I'm single, I'm gay. I'm an executive, I'm a lawyer, I'm a sales assistant, I'm unemployed. 
I vote Labour. I vote Liberal. I vote Greens. I'm Asian. I'm Australian. I'm a migrant. I don't know what I am. No matter what you call yourself, rightly or wrongly, but no matter what you call yourself, someone is going to judge you for it. They will hate you, scorn you, despise you for it. And you can do your best, like this woman, to carry on. But when Jesus comes to you, or when Jesus comes up in conversation, you might ask, as this woman did, why would Jesus speak to me? Or asked a different way, what does Jesus have to do with me? In my circumstances right now. To answer that question, we have to look at what Jesus says to this woman. And it's important, again, open up your own Bibles. It's important to notice the progression of conversation. Six times Jesus speaks, and if you have your own Bibles, it'll be easy for you to see Jesus' words, especially if you have a red-letter Bible, which is where the words of Jesus are highlighted in red. But six times Jesus speaks. First of all, he says in verse 7, will you give me a drink? Jesus starts by connecting. It's simple. It's natural. They're both thirsty. Jesus is tired. His disciples have gone to get food, so they're no help. And Jesus has no bucket, no means to get water. So he just says, can I have a drink? The second time Jesus speaks is in verse 10. He says, If you knew the gift of God, you would ask for living water. Jesus addresses her felt need. The Bible, the New Testament, as you might know, was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word for living water is also the word for fresh water or running water. Better than the brackish water in the bottom of the well, right? Jesus may very well have intended that double meaning, but she still just sees the well. The third time Jesus speaks is in verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. It will become a spring. Jesus creates spiritual curiosity. He turns the conversation from physical thirst and physical water to spiritual thirst and spiritual water. The fourth time Jesus speaks is in verses 16 to 18. He says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. So he says, no, you're right. You have no husband. You have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. This is divine encounter because only God could have had that supernatural insight, that complete knowledge of her circumstances. This is no longer just Jesus, a man. This is Jesus, the son of God, interacting with her. And up until this point, the woman only sees in the physical and the immediate But when she encounters the power of God in Jesus, 
even though she perhaps wants to divert the conversation. Look at verses 19 and 20. She wants to divert the conversations and say, oh, we're, we're supposed to, Samaritans are supposed to worship here on this mountain. You Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. It almost seems like she's trying to divert the conversation because it's always easier to talk theology and theory, isn't it, than to face the uncomfortable reality that maybe I've got sin in my life. But at least now, she's open to the truth. The fifth time Jesus speaks is in verses 21 to 24. And he says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. Here Jesus speaks truth. And he gives her the answer to her deepest longing. And then finally, the sixth time Jesus speaks in verse 26, he says, you're looking for the Messiah? I am he. This is revelation. And she still needs time to think about it. She still needs time to process. Look, in in verse 29, she's still wondering. She's like, Could this be the Messiah? But in the end, when you skip down to verse 39 to 42, in the end, you can see there for yourself, she believes, along with many others, almost the rest of her entire village, believed in Jesus. The big idea here, and if you only take one thing away from today, The big idea here is that regardless of who you are, the satisfaction of your deepest longing can only be met in worship of the Father through Jesus Christ. And this longing is in every one of us because God made us that way. We were created by Him for Him. And in our passage today, this Samaritan woman buried that need. She buried that need. She buried it in men. I can imagine that the first time she got married, she was probably young and hopeful, excited, idealistic. They get married. They're in love. But three, four, five, ten years later, hmm, this isn't what I expected. They get divorced. She's lucky enough to meet someone else a little while later. And she gets married again. Everyone deserves a second chance. So it's a new beginning. But again, three, four, five years later, things break down. Irreconcilable. They get divorced. She marries a third time. Third time's the charm. Or is it three strikes, you're out? Because in rabbinic law of that day, there was provision to be married up to three times. But again, they divorce. She marries again and again. Five times and five times divorced. And by now, she's probably in her 40s or 50s or even older. 
She's so jaded. She's so broken. She's been endlessly disappointed. All the hopes that she ever had dashed. And in her heart, she's saying, I will never marry again. But she's still longing for something more. And she's looking for it in another relationship, another man. What about us today? What about you today? It might be that like this woman, you're looking to be satisfied through relationships. That one special, elusive relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, husband, wife, soulmate. Or in other relationships as well. Family, children, friends, popularity. Or other things, a career, a cause, a challenge, a project. Or you bury that nagging longing under other distractions, short term, Netflix, YouTube, Facebook, Insta, entertainment, food, shopping, reading, writing, hobbies, games. Not that all these things are necessarily wrong. Some of these things are really good. But you're always looking for the next thing, the next thrill, the next purchase, the next level up, the next holiday, the next new joy to bring satisfaction to your soul. It's kind of like that Chinese banquet I was telling you about earlier. As rich, as sumptuous as it was, as much as I ate, as much as I laid in bed that night going, oh, I ate too much. You know what? The next day, by midday, I was hungry again. No matter how much, how good, it fills you up for a while. But before too long, you realize you're still hungry. And Jesus says here in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whatever this world has to offer, even good things, will never satisfy your soul. And you'll always want more. Because you actually do need more. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And eternal life isn't just for eternity one day. Eternal life is for this life as well. Because eternal life starts now. The moment you open yourself up to what Jesus has to give. So this Samaritan woman, she has a divine encounter with Jesus, the Son of God, more than just a man. And now she's open to the truth. And she realizes that Jesus is no longer speaking about her immediate felt need for water or even her deeper lingering heartache for love and acceptance. She realizes that it has something to do with worship. 
that spiritual, deepest part of who we are, that deepest part of her soul. And she's open. And so she asks in verse 20, Our Samaritan ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Who's right? All of these ways to God, all of these religions, what is the way to what you are offering, Jesus? This spring of living water welling up inside. Who's right? And Jesus says in verse 21, it's not dependent on race or place. He says in verse 22, it is from the Jews because he himself, as the answer, is Jewish. But most importantly, and this is for us today as well, most importantly in verses 23 and 24, still as relevant today as it was for her 2,000 years ago, Jesus says in verses 23 and 24, true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Twice in these two verses, Jesus says, in spirit and truth. Now the original Greek doesn't have that definite article. It doesn't say, in the spirit. It simply says, in spirit and truth. What does that mean? And this is important. Because this is the answer that Jesus gives to our deepest longing. In spirit means in the very depth of your being. Not just surface level, not just what people can see, not just outward appearances or only intellectually, but all in with your whole being, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. True means to be genuine, not pretending, not putting on a show or a facade, sincere. But be careful. Because sincerity is not enough. You can be very, very sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. Which is why in truth also means in the way that God reveals. How can we know anything about God? If he is spirit, that means he's invisible. He's imperceptible to us unless God reveals himself. You might remember from earlier in your series, from John chapter 1, this is probably quite a few weeks ago, but in John chapter 1, you would have covered this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And remember also in John chapter 3, verse 27, This was just a few weeks ago for you. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. We can only know God by what he reveals. And the opposite of worship is idolatry. Idolatry is not just bowing down to a physical image, but it is having, choosing, remaining in a wrong concept of God. 
But worship in spirit and truth is according to how God reveals himself, and that is in Christ. And these days for us, the only way that we can objectively know what Jesus was like is through the Bible. Which is why spending time in scripture for yourself, as often as possible, every day if you can, but to spend time in scripture for yourself is so important. And this too is the work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, when you open up the Bible, it's just another book. But if you have the Holy Spirit teaching you, guiding you, and and bringing the word alive to you, then you can encounter the living Lord Jesus today. And only God can do that. So you must pray. We, We have to pray. We have to read and pray. So in in a sense, the NIV is not wrong when it says, in the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. One last thing before I wrap up. Remember that progression of conversation we looked at earlier that Jesus had with the woman at the well? I think there's uh, six things that we looked at before. And as I was praying about today, what to share with you, this was something I felt like God, God impressed upon me for you as a church, for you as a church that I know values and teaches evangelism and the importance of sharing your faith with others, or maybe just simply for your own faith. When we look at how to share faith, how to share the gospel with others. There's many things here that we can do as human beings. We can connect with people. We can address felt needs. We can create curiosity. We can speak the truth, share the gospel. But there are two things here that we cannot do, that only God can do. And that is for people, for anyone to have divine encounter And maybe more than just once, maybe more than just the first time, but continually encountering the presence and power of the risen Lord Jesus today. Only God can do that. We can't manufacture that. We can't just pretend. Only God, and it has to be God. But we can cry out to him. We can ask, we can pray, we can long for that and say, God, show yourself to me. And the second thing is for that revelation in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, that that deepest longing that we all have is indeed to know God through Jesus Christ. To be loved by Him, to be forgiven and cleansed from sin, to be restored to eternal life that starts now to worship and live for God in spirit and truth, wholeheartedly growing in the truth of who God is and who Jesus is and hearing in the depth of our soul, hearing Jesus say that thing, that one that you've been looking for all this time, I am He. That revelation Only God can do that. Our deepest longing. Every one of us can only be satisfied through worship of God through Jesus Christ.
And we can try to bury that longing, distract ourselves under so many layers of so many things. But we know those things are never going to be enough. If you only knew the gift of God, that whoever receives what Jesus gives will have life welling up inside of them over and over continually, not just once, not just once in a while, not just once a week, but every day, all the time, satisfying your soul, spilling over to others. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, God, in this moment, and even for those who are watching online, but here, Lord, as we have spent time listening to your voice, looking at your word, hearing your heart, God, I pray that in this moment for everyone, that you would do what only you can do, God. You know each one of us better than we know ourselves. You have supernatural all knowledge of our circumstances, of our frailties, of the things that we face. You know, and you love us. And so I pray, Lord, for each person here, that you would speak to each one right where they're at, right where they need to hear you speak life and help us God there might be someone here who has never given their heart to Jesus before I'm sure that the leaders here at Praise Center would love to help you meet Jesus start that journey with him if that's you just make sure you tell someone maybe talk to the person that invited you and for those of you who are believers, Lord Jesus, we lay ourselves down before you again. Help us, God, to worship you in spirit and truth every moment of every day. You alone are the one that can satisfy our deepest longing. This we pray in Jesus' name.